Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it, and one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. This week, we're joined by an individual that I'm so honored to be bringing on, American environmental attorney Robert Bellot. Robert's legal work took new heights when he defended 70,000 West Virginia and Ohio residents in a class action lawsuit against the chemical industry giant DuPont. The company was found responsible for contaminating the area's water with a highly dangerous man-made chemical, PFOA, which was used in making DuPont's Teflon products. PFOA is also referred to as a forever chemical, and Robert's work has been instrumental in bringing awareness to the dangers of them. In this episode, Rob and I will be talking about his 20-year legal battle against DuPont, as well as the importance of clean drinking water. Growing up from an area of Pennsylvania where pipelines were installed just a few miles down from my childhood home, it's definitely a very scary and very real thing to question the safety and cleanliness of your drinking water. I can't wait for you all to hear about this incredible story and learn about Rob's work. So you know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. So today we are joined by U.S. environmental attorney Robert Billot. Rob, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Thank you. Appreciate being here. This is a conversation I am really excited to have. Over the past year, I've been able to learn about you and your work. For anyone who doesn't know, your story and career inspired the recent Focus Features film, Dark Waters, which starred Mark Ruffalo, Anne Hathaway, Tim Robbins, and was directed by Todd Haynes. Your work uncovering the global impact of PFAS, Forever Chemicals, on the environment and human health gained you international attention, and you have a new book out now, Exposure, Poisoned Water, Corporate Greed, and One Lawyer's 20-Year Battle Against DuPont. So there's a lot to get into here. I'm just personally really excited to hear about how you got involved with this case. I think it's a really interesting beginning because you got a phone call from Earl Tennant. If you want to sort of just introduce people to the story and how, yeah, how you got involved with the case, that'd be great. Sure. You know, I started uh, my legal career back in 1990 at the law firm of Taft, Stettinius & Hollister, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And for the, the first eight years or so, a lot of what I was doing was uh, working with a lot of our big corporate clients helping them comply with different environmental laws and regulations. And um, one day I got a call on my, my office line from this gentleman who started rambling off about cows dying on his property. Um, and could I help him? Uh, and, you know, that's not, not the kind of thing I normally did. Uh, typically uh, worked with the bigger company uh, clients. So I was about to hang up when he mentioned, I got your name from your grandmother. <laughs> then I, I paused and, and paid a little closer attention, and it, it, but turned out that Mr. Tennant, the farmer who was calling me, was raising cows on a farm outside of Parkersburg, West Virginia, and that's the town where my mom and my grandmother, my, my entire mom's family had grown up, where I spent a lot of time as a kid, um, and Mr. Tennant had been having all kinds of trouble with his livestock. Um, he thought he was getting sick. He thought his family was getting sick from something in the water that uh, the cows were drinking. 
um, and that was flowing through his property and, and getting into the air on his property. And it just so happened he had been talking to his neighbor, uh, uh, you know, explaining what trouble he was having finding anybody who could help him. None of the lawyers locally wanted to, to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And the neighbor had just been on the phone that day with my grandmother. Uh, they were good friends, and my grandmother was bragging about her grandson being an environmental lawyer in Cincinnati. So she said, she said oh, certainly, you know, I'm sure my grandson can help. So that's how the call came to me. And, uh, you know, when I heard this uh, this connection, you know, that this was coming to me through my grandmother and my people that my family knew, um, you know, I said, look, bring, bring whatever you've got. Uh, let's take a look at it, see if I can help you here. And that was back in October of 98. Yeah, well, I think what's really interesting is that, you know, you're a corporate defense attorney for some of these big companies like DuPont. So to get involved in a case with Earl Tennant and, you know, him talking about something being wrong with his water, it might be more on the local level. What made you want to take on that fight? Well, you know, again, this was somebody that um, was, was coming to me as a recommendation through my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And you know, this was a community I knew well. Um, and I thought this was something I could really help him with. Uh, after all, what he was com- complaining about were cows that were getting sick after drinking water that was flowing out of a landfill right next to his property. Mm-hmm. And this was a landfill uh, that was owned by a big chemical company in town, the DuPont Chemical Company. Um, and you know, that's the kind of thing that I did. I helped companies get permits for landfills. I understood the way landfills were were regulated, and um, you know when I heard that all these problems were related to something coming out of a landfill, you know to me I thought, well, this might be a fairly straightforward thing. I can pull the permits, I can look at the list of all the regulated chemicals that are allowed, and there's probably something that's being emitted too high or above the permit limits. So we, I thought we could get to the bottom of it pretty quickly. Uh, but it ended up being a lot more complicated mm-hmm. and not quite that direct um, and involving a chemical that nobody even knew existed, let alone uh, identified or listed on any permit. Right. I mean, it's safe to say you had no idea going into it how much you were going to uncover. Absolutely not. We had no idea when we took this case on for Mr. Tennant and his family, you know, and what, involving what we thought was one family and one farm in West Virginia would end up um, you know, uncovering contamination that spanned essentially the entire globe. Mm-hmm. I also think what's really interesting about this is that DuPont being such a major chemical company um, in West Virginia, you know, providing it so many jobs. Um, one issue that I've seen a lot with certain industries of pipelines, for example, backlash against pipelines, a lot of people will say, well, they bring a lot of jobs to the economy and to the area. Is that something you found going with this case and with it being in West Virginia and DuPont providing so many jobs to individuals there? Did you find a lot of backlash coming from people in the community, taking this on yourself? Uh, Absolutely. And I think you see that uh, depicted pretty well in the film, Dark Waters. Um, and also, in, there's a documentary called The Devil We Know mm-hmm. that really highlights what some of the people there locally had to go through. And I really tried to explore that and highlight that as well in the book, Exposure, but to really show what it was like for the people in this community 
have to deal with this on a daily basis. As you mentioned, I mean, this was, this was DuPont. Not only were they a large, you know, major chemical company, they were one of the biggest employers in that town. So most of the people in that community either worked there or they knew somebody that worked there or they had family that worked there. So when Mr. Tennant started complaining, um, you know, and, and started blaming DuPont, um, that didn't sit well with a lot of folks. And as the case expanded and we realized that it was uh, involving the same you know, the chemical contamination of the entire community's drinking water, uh, the, the, the additional folks, the additional families that came forward and spoke out also faced, you know, some pretty severe uh, backlash from those in the community who really saw this as an attack on their entire way of life and in some sense the whole identity of the community. So it was mm -hmm. very difficult, um, particularly for the, the folks who had to live there and deal with this every day. You know, and you see some scenes of that in the film, you know, of, uh, for example, the tenants, you know, attending church or mm -hmm. Mrs. Kiger has to go out for grocery shopping. And those were things that really happened um, and to some degree, you know, still continue to this day. Right. And you comment on that in the book as well. Um, what I think a lot of people would benefit from, because it's still not a widely known concept, forever chemicals, what they are. Um, in this case, you discovered something carbon eight. Would you mind explaining what exactly that is for anybody who doesn't know? It's sure. You know, as we, we took on this case for Mr. Tennant and started digging in, trying to figure out what was happening to his cows, you know, what was killing not only the cows, but the wildlife in the area, the deer, the frogs, the fish. Um, we started digging into internal files from the company that showed what they were making at their plant a, a couple miles away along the Ohio River and what they were sending to this landfill. And what we eventually discovered was that there was a chemical that the DuPont company was buying uh, from 3M mm -hmm. and using to make Teflon. Um, and the, the, the plant right down the river happened to be the world's largest Teflon manufacturing facility. And what we saw was there was a particular chemical, this chemical that 3M made, um, that they had been buying since 1951, decades before the U.S. EPA even existed and before a lot of our rules regulating chemicals even came into existence and have been uh, buying very large quantities of it, using uh, large quantities and emitting large quantities out into the air, the water, the soil, into landfills. And this chemical uh, was something that never existed on the planet prior to World War II, completely man-made chemical. Um, called perfluorooctanoic acid, which is really a mouthful, but uh, it's this chemical that has this unique structure of eight carbons uh, attached to fluorine, which is why DuPont nicknamed it C8. Um, and it has this, not only, the, um, it's got this unique chemical structure, which gives it some really unique qualities. It makes it almost impossible for this chemical to break down out in the environment. When it gets released out into the air, into the water, into the soils, it'll stay there virtually forever. It does not break down under natural conditions, which is why you hear this chemical and, and the related chemicals in the family of, of chemicals, which we now call PFAS, PFAS, mm -hmm. per and polyfluoroalkylated substances. Another huge mouthful. PFOA is just one 
of hundreds, if not thousands of chemicals in that class, all man-made chemicals, mm -hmm. never existed on the planet prior to World War II, all of which have this carbon-fluorine bond and this, this uncanny ability to not break down. But not only do they have this very disturbing ability to stay out in our environment, they have an equally disturbing capacity to get into and stay in living things. Uh, not only animals, but humans. This chemical gets into us and it sticks to our blood. You know, a, a lot of chemicals uh, that we're exposed to every day, our body gets rid of. Uh, we, we flush it out. Our body knows has ways to excrete it. Or maybe it gets deposited to fat or, or someplace where it really doesn't interact in our body. This chemical has this unusual ability of binding into the blood where it then circulates throughout our whole body and it stays there. Our body has an inability to get rid of it. So it stays there for a long, long period of time. And every little bit that we're exposed to, not only does the amount we all we were exposed to stay there, but every additional amount builds up to higher and higher levels. So uh, this chemical is called persistent because mm -hmm. it persists in the environment and in human things. Bioaccumulative because it stays and builds up over time. And toxic because it, uh, the internal studies also showed that this chemical is incredibly toxic and, and causes cancer. So it's got um, really. <laughs> Uh, not only a scary uh, chemical structure, but um, equally scary consequences when it gets out into the environment and gets into us. Right. I mean, if that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what will. But what really boggled my mind um, while both watching the movie, reading the book, hearing your story, is that with EPA regulation, in the book you had talked about how there was sort of the honor system where companies had to alert the EPA of chemicals they were using that should have been rules and regulations against that. And I think with one of the big themes at play here is accountability and responsibility. And for companies to be responsible and be held accountable when they're making mistakes, is that something that, I mean, I'm sure you obviously found that with this case, but something you still continue to see today? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we're trying to do really through the, the getting out, getting the film out, getting the documentary out, getting the book out is getting the story out so that people understand how this really works in our country, how chemicals are really regulated or not regulated. You know, most of us assume when we turn our tap on at home mm -hmm. uh, you know, and try to get a drink of water, that somebody is taking care of making sure it's perfectly safe and that somebody is looking at every possible thing that goes into that water. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's a relatively small group of chemicals that are regulated, that have standards and that, that we're testing for. These chemicals, you know, as I mentioned, they, they were invented right after World War II and it was decades before the US EPA came into existence in 1970. And some of the first regulations uh, controlling new chemicals come out of the environment came out in 1976. And when those laws came out, they really focused on new chemicals from that point forward. Mm -hmm. So for all these existing chemicals, it was really, and I'm kind of simplifying here, but it was really up to the companies that were using or making them to notify the US EPA if there was information suggesting they might pose a substantial risk of harm to human health or the environment. 
And unfortunately, despite what we saw on the records here, which was decades of testing and decades of information showing there was a risk, there was a threat, the companies, unfortunately, were not telling EPA. So, yeah, as you indicated, you know, it really kind of was an honor system. And here, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And that, I think a lot of folks have used this as an example to show why this system needed to be changed. And in fact, in 2016, some amendments were made to our federal laws to try to beef the system up to some degree to prevent these kinds of things from happening. Um, but unfortunately, you know, to some degree, it, it still is, there's still a major problem here. You know, in mm-hmm. our country, uh, the people who are exposed to the chemicals generally are the ones who have the burden to prove that they're causing them harm, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are, there are efforts underway, for example, in Europe, where they follow something called the precautionary principle, where, you know, you take action before uh, harm is shown and proven and absolutely 100% proven you take action before people are getting sick and before they get cancer. So I think um, this this situation with PFOA and with the related PFOS forever chemical family has really kind of highlighted this major systemic problem in the way we regulate chemicals and really started a lot of people talking about the need to change them. Certainly. I think as a consumer, the last thing on your mind when purchasing a product should be is this going to cause harm? Is this going to be poisoning me in any way? Um, but unfortunately, that's sort of the society we live in. And it's really unfortunate that we're not able to change. On the podcast in the past, I have had founders of clean beauty companies come on and talk about just what you were saying, how the e- in the European Union, so many chemicals um, are banned from products. Where here in the States, I mean, it's only a few dozen And it's just very unfortunate that, like you said, it has to be up to the consumer then to look for what's safe and what's not. And it becomes very difficult when information about what chemicals are even in the product isn't available to the public. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, in, in in the history here of the use of these chemicals, very little information was made available to the public about what, what products these chemicals were used in. You know, so it's not as if you could simply look at a label and know, oh, you know, this, this product has this stuff in it, I don't want to use it. Most of us had no idea we were being exposed to these chemicals because the information simply wasn't made available. You know, some of that is slowly trickling out now, but we still have this problem where a lot of it, a lot of this information is claimed confidential business information mm-hmm. or it's kept secret. So that you don't know which which uh, chemicals are in these products. There there are a lot of groups that are trying to to get together now to really push for more transparency and to make information available online about what products these chemicals have been used in in the past, and importantly, which companies are switching away, and what products are are out there right now that um, don't use them or are using alternatives that may, you know, be less, less of a threat. So it's, it's really important, you know, that to get information out to folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been incredibly difficult. You know, information was frankly covered up for right. decades about these chemicals uh, and to some degree continues to this day. Right. 
Yeah, that's one of the things for me. I've been really utilizing lately Environmental Working Group. They have a whole page where you can type in a product and it will list all of the ingredients in it and show you what their rating is. And because I think that's another thing is the vulnerability of it for people. I admit, I do not know much about science. Um, (laughs) There's so much for me to still learn about certain products and chemicals. And it's hard to know what you're using. You really do try your best to trust the company that they're going to be providing you a safe product to use. And it's just very unfortunate. So for me, one of the main reasons why I became very passionate and invested in clean water uh, protection over the past couple years is when I was in high school, I'm in a part of rural Pennsylvania in the Poconos. And when I was in high school, they had started putting in pipelines about a mile down the road from my house. And at the time, there was so much controversy over it, people not wanting them put in, people wanting them put in because of the jobs it'll bring and how it'll benefit the economy in that sense. Um, but for me, just all the whole time, there was very little being said about how this could impact your clean drinking water, how this could impact the environment. But that's why I think I started getting involved and just looking into forever chemicals and how to protect your water. It's been a long journey. And, you know, the pipelines, I'm back in Pennsylvania at the moment, and the pipelines are still right down the road. And, you know, there are, there are some groups out there that are doing tremendous work on education and making this information available. You mentioned one of the leaders, the Environmental Working Group, has been doing a fabulous job for decades, really, mm-hmm. on getting information out about PFAS and, you know, identifying where it's been found and what products it's been identified with, uh, Center for Environmental Health, um, uh, you know, Green Science Policy Institute. There are a number of, of groups out there that are trying to get this information out and make it available to folks, particularly online, um, you know, but like you say, it's very difficult. You know, here, here we're talking about chemical contamination that is impacting water supplies all over this country, if not all over the planet at this point, mm-hmm. that's in the blood of virtually every person in this country, babies being born with these chemicals, chemicals that have been linked to decreased immune response and potentially impacting vaccine response. And, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, and really there are still folks that have never heard of PFAS, have no idea that this contamination, not only that that it exists, but that it has been happening for 50, 60, 70 years. You know, and unfortunately, everything that has been emitted out there in the environment, you know, since the 50s is still there. these, These chemicals don't break down. And yes, once the information finally started coming out to the public, uh, you know, in the last several years, the companies finally started agreeing to phase out some of these, particularly PFOA and the related chemical PFOS that was used in things like firefighting foam and Scotchgard. But as those finally got phased out, they started switching over to very similar chemicals that maybe had one or two fewer carbons. And then those newer chemicals have come out onto the market. Um, and, you know, the, the cycle is continuing. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, it's been very, very difficult to get folks to become aware that this is happening, that the scope of it is as big as it is, uh, and that there are things we can do. We can filter this out of the water. We can take steps to clean it up. 
but unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, most people are still learning about it as if it's something brand new, even though it's likely been out there in their environment, in their water for decades. Right. Well, you brought up the use of new chemicals, new and refined chemicals. Um, that's what I found so puzzling in your book. You talk about Gen X, I believe, is one of the newer chemicals that's been used. So what is the danger with that? You know, obvious reasons, of course, but what's sort of because to, to me, it feels like these lessons of accountability and responsibility aren't being fully understood by the companies then. Yeah, you know, uh, it reminds me of the scene, I don't know if you've seen the movie Carrie, you know, where you think it's <laughs> over and then the hand reaches out. You know, it's the kind of the same problem we're seeing here with these PFAS chemicals. As we finally get information out and the regulators finally get enough information about PFOA and PFOS to start regulating and banning those, and the companies finally agree to stop manufacturing them. They, they, in the meantime, switch. You know, instead of a C8, they may make a C6 or a C4. And then the argument is these are new, and there's no studies, there's no information suggesting they cause harm because they aren't doing the studies. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that that it's almost like this whack-a-mole game. You know, as we finally got enough information about one of them, or even to, uh, two or three, to start banning them and regulating them, you simply tweak them by one or two molecules, call it new, and the whole process starts over again. And there's real concern that we don't want to be spending 20, 30 years on each chemical when you've got hundreds, if not thousands of them in this class. You know, for example, with Gen X, as PFOA was being phased out, DuPont brought this C6 replacement called Gen X out mm-hmm. onto the market. And within only a matter of years, it's being found in the drinking water in Wilmington, North Carolina for hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and this whole process is starting again. And um, you know, so you now see folks that are saying, particularly in the regulatory world, in the scientific world, Let's focus on this whole class and try to address them more comprehensively so we're not doing one at a time. And meanwhile, people are being exposed and getting cancers and dying over decades while we while we play out this, this never-ending process. Because mm-hmm. even with the ones that we do have all this information on, PFOA and PFOS, right now, despite everything that's been done, these massive human health studies, the biggest ever done on any chemical, with more information than you could ever need showing severe threats to human health, they are still not regulated in the U.S. There is no formal drinking water limits that are for national standards for either of those chemicals. So states are having to move forward and set their own standards to Mm -hmm. protect people. Communities are having to move forward to filter this out of their water. Um, It's just, it's mind-blowing, I think, for most people when they sit back and see how this process really works to get things regulated at the federal level in the United States and how long and how difficult Mm -hmm. it is. Right. And there, I mean, right now, I guess with the current administration, there's so many rollbacks on environmental regulations, which is just very disheartening. But what can people do then? Because that's sort of (laughs) what we're left with is what can citizens do to protect their water? What advice do you have for how people can get involved? Well, that's why I'm hoping people, um, frankly, I'm hoping that when they see the film Dark Waters, 
mm-hmm. or they watch the documentary or they read the book, they come away inspired to know one person can make a huge difference. Standing up, speaking out, saying, no, this is not the way it should work. Um, this may be the way it's always been done. And there may be big, powerful interests that are, that are, are trying to keep it going a certain way. But um, people standing up, speaking out, can make a change and things can be can be made different it is doable mm-hmm. um, and i think this is a great story and a great example of how it can happen you know here you've got a, a farmer in west virginia who was able to essentially you know stand up speak out and lead to the complete phase out of, of a chemical across the world and to people all over the world knowing about you know massive chemical contamination that's now being discussed not only in different states, but at the national level, at the international level, um, and you know, it, it can happen. And but it takes people having the courage to to speak up. And and if they see something that they think isn't the way it should work, demanding that it be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say definitely be persistent. Um, don't take no for an answer. Um, like I had brought up before, there's a vulnerability, and a lot of people not having all of the knowledge. You know, we're not big chemical companies. I personally don't know all the correct terminology, but if you have a gut feeling about something and you feel like insecure about your water, uh, your environment, speak out and, you know, just be persistent. Don't give up and don't take no for an answer because as your case showed, you could potentially be very right. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I think you, know, you look back at what Mr. Tennant was able to do, what Mr. Kiger, um, you know, there was able to do by simply standing up and saying, you know, this needs to be, this needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't right. And um, we need to get the truth and the facts out there. When people see the facts and the truth, um, they, they get it. They understand. And things, you know, things can change. And, you know, getting the story out, for example, getting it out to a wider audience, we're seeing that finally, you know, starting to happen. We're seeing discussions occur in different states, in at, at the national level, in Congress. You know that that understanding. Wow, you know this is happening. We do see the facts. We do see the science is there. Um, let's fix this. Uh, but it takes it takes the people being able to to, to get that information out um, and stick with it. Uh, that gets it done. Definitely. One thing I was very curious about um, after finishing both the movie and the book and learning about your journey with this case, you helped so many people by representing them um, and bringing justice to them after being sort of victimized by uh, DuPont and the forever chemicals they were using. What was the feedback that you received after working on all of these cases? I mean, you're still working on so many cases today. Um, what do you hear from people primarily about the work you've been doing? Uh, you know, I think it's been really encouraging to see how many people are reaching out from um, all over the world, really, that have that are learning about this for the first time and are so appreciative of the of the knowledge of, the, of having access to these facts of of seeing this information available online and on these diff- that these different organizations we talked about are, are making available. Um, you know, just really, I think, being encouraged and motivated to know, like, like we were talking about a few moments ago, that it can happen, you know, that, that 
it can be done. Uh, things can be changed no matter how, how, what the odds look like. It may take a long time. Uh, it may take years, but eventually, um, you know, things can be can can be changed. Right, and I think we can definitely do that, as we said, by speaking out. I mean, we have so many. Luckily, we have so many celebrities and people of influence at the forefront. I mean, Mark Ruffalo, who did this movie with you, and people like Jane Fonda. Even <laughs> I see her going out and marching and standing up for our environment and our rights to have clean drinking water. I feel like that's a basic human right. Um, I just hope the movement continues because the fight is, as you said, not over. Uh, I do too. And, uh, you know, I can't thank folks like Mark, you know, enough. Uh, Mark Ruffalo did a fantastic job in, in getting this movie, uh, Dark Waters made uh, and getting it, getting it made the right way, you know, so that it showed what the true, what the real impact was on people in that community and uh, to do it in a way I think that really has a, a lasting impact with people who see the film. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people come away hopefully you know, inspired and motivated to, to want to learn more and to want to take action. Um, so you know, having somebody like him be able to lend his voice to this is, is incredible. And can't thank him enough. And all of those you know, that helped get, get the story uh, out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it continues to unfold and new communities every day are learning about this being found in their water or learning that it's in a landfill you know uh, next door or down the block or it was in products you know that nobody knew were uh, existed uh, so it's um, unfortunately a continuing uh, to, uh, to unravel uh, the impact it, it, it's it's being felt everywhere mm-hmm. yeah I, I would certainly say to people just to stay educated on something. Um, I say that with pipelines. I know it's a divisive topic. There's so many different sides. Um, But whatever way you sway it with it, I always say just stay educated, follow up, know what's happening with it and how it's affecting your community, your environment and yourself. Um, And just remain, remain educated about things and certain situations, certain companies uh, would be my best advice. Absolutely. You know, there's a there's a great scene in the film Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo, you know, saying basically, you know, it's up to us. You know, we have to protect us. And that is so true. I mean, we you cannot just assume that there's somebody out there who's going to do this for you. Um, and there's somebody else who's going to take care of this or, gee, if that's so bad, somebody else must be on this or taking care of it. No, we each each of us need to take responsibility um, you know, to, to make sure that these things are done and that these changes are made. Uh, it's up to every one of us. And you are still continuing the fight today. You're taking on more cases, correct? Yes. You know, we are helping folks all over. You know, we're impacted by these chemicals and are facing the costs of having to put, you know, filtration systems in for water supplies and cleaning this up, uh, you know, different states across the country. Um, and, we're, one of the things we're focused on as well is trying to get um, uh, nationwide comprehensive health studies done on this expanded class of chemicals. You know, we were able to do that with one of them, PFOA, and you see that in the film. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that in the book, the science panel that we put together that was able to have independent scientists look at all of the data, do new studies, and be able to independently confirm 
what the links were between this, this chemical PFOA and human disease. And now that we're learning about all of these related PFOS chemicals that are out there also in our water, in our blood, in the soil, and we're hearing from the companies, well, you don't have any evidence that they're causing harm. Um, yet they're, they're refusing to do the studies that they claim are necessary mm -hmm. to prove that. Well, then, um, you know, I, they should be paying for the independent science and the studies to be done mm -hmm. to, to ex confirm exactly what these chemicals are doing to us. You know, those of us who are exposed, those of us who are you know, being used as guinea pigs every day, we shouldn't be having to pay to prove what those chemicals are doing to us. Um, so that's uh, right now I'm pursuing a case where we're trying to get those uh, studies done, trying to get that testing and trying to, to, to get whatever science is needed to confirm exactly what these chemicals, bigger group of them are doing to every one of us. And I think that's what I found so amazing in this case is that people are willing to volunteer and sign up to be tested. You had over 60,000 people from West Virginia test themselves through blood testing, correct? Right. Uh, when we when we set up this program in West Virginia and Ohio to try to confirm what the health effects were for PFOA, um, we made the testing available to folks there in the community, which we estimated there were about 70,000 people there that were impacted with this contaminated water. We had 69,000 come forward and agree to be have their blood tested and provide medical information. And it was because the community came together and came forward like that and, and participated that we were able to do what we were able to do and confirm this. You know, we, we, we were able to do some of the biggest health studies ever done where you needed tens of thousands of people in order to confirm some of these rare types of disease like cancer, um, where if you don't, if you, a lot of times, if you only have a couple of hundred folks or, or even fewer you just simply can't confirm, you know, whether some of these diseases are linked or not. You need tens of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. So it was really incredible, you know, that that community came came forward and participated that way. And frankly, all of us now benefit from what they did. Definitely. Well, again, thank you for all of your work and investing yourself in this issue and fighting for clean water and, you know, fighting for the little guy because it's... <laughs> definitely hard to go up against some of these big corporations and companies. Again, brings me back to my point on vulnerability. If you just have a gut feeling, it's sometimes you feel like, oh, I shouldn't bring it up. I shouldn't address it. I shouldn't speak up about it. But, you know, sometimes when you do, it really gets you far. Absolutely. And I really appreciate it. I mean, what you're doing here is incredibly important, you know, helping to get this information out, you know, because this is a continuing public health threat. And um, you know, I really appreciate being able to help get the story out to as many folks as possible. Of course. Well, before you go, since this is handling it and we are trying to navigate life together, sort of dealing with life's ups and downs, has there been, through this case, through your life, um, a piece of advice or a lesson you've learned along the way that's really helped you handle your life? Uh, I think, you know, it's <laughs> never, 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 uh, never stop believing that the truth will eventually come out and the truth will prevail no matter what roadblocks are thrown up in your in, in your along the way you know, the truth eventually comes out and prevails as long as you stick with it and do what you can to get information out and, and 
tell your story, uh, people will eventually listen. And um, the truth prevailed in the end. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It was a really pleasure to talk with you. Okay guys, I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Rob. His work has drawn so much necessary attention to the dangers of forever chemicals, and I hope that if you haven't heard of his story already, that you found it really inspiring. So if you'd like to learn more about Rob and his legal work, I've linked up all of the information below in the episode description on his book Exposure, the motion picture Dark Waters, and the documentary The Devil We Know. So thank you, Rob, so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.